right. Merry Christmas. Coming up quick. I love the family reunion. It's always fun. Always fun. Well, hey, good morning. Um, if you are joining us through the, the podcast or if you're watching in online, uh, I, I just want to thank you especially for being with us. We know a lot of folks will choose to check us out on the live stream or on our podcast before they show up here. So if that's you and you're listening in on this, uh, we want you to feel welcome and we hope to see you here soon. We hope to see you this coming Sunday, uh, Christmas Eve in the morning. Um, well, what a week. Uh, it's been a crazy week. Um, I was, anybody else sick this week? Anybody get the, this, this, just a few of us? I think we just passed it around here on the staff, uh, you know, just a family that gets sick together or something. But so uh, I was, I was kind of sick all week and uh, had a final paper due that I had to get an extension on and I had a, a funeral uh, yesterday. Um, and oh yeah, there's this sermon thing that I'm supposed to uh, bring on Sunday morning. Um, and I had the idea for what I'm going to do this morning kind of all along. And so I dug back into my notes and, and uh, some uh, sermons. And it's interesting because in writing seminary papers again uh, after all these years, it's made me hyper-conscious of citing sources. So I want to um, say that if, if, if what I talk about this morning, if you want to go deeper in it, uh, some of the sources that were helpful for me, John Mark Comer, uh, Craig Rochelle, Dave Johnson, uh, Dallas Willard. So if you want to go deeper with some of these ideas I'm going to talk about, uh, and you forget who I just said, then just uh, ask me about it later. But we are in a message series leading us up to Christmas. It's called Stories That Put the Mess in Messiah. And we're looking at different parts of some of the stories of people connected to Christmas and how their experience of the coming of Jesus and the birth of Jesus was, you know, well, to say it lightly, uh, a bit messy. Um, a couple weeks ago, uh, Pastor Dwayne uh, looked at Mary, um, and last week I looked from uh, Joseph's perspective, and today what I want to do is take a look at parts of both Joseph and Mary's Perspective, and, and I've really been struck uh, this entire Advent season by uh, something that Mary says in Luke chapter one, which we'll read all of it in a moment. Um, but but it's been speaking to me about the mess of feeling out of control. Um, and hey, as a family, I'd like us to you know make sure we're interacting. So a little more interactive this morning, be participatory. It's way more fun. Uh, with you than not. So I'd like you all to participate this morning. Sound good? Yeah. Okay, don't make me come out there with a microphone, but okay, that, that'll, that'll work. Um, so I'm curious, here's a question. How, how many of you would be honest enough to admit that there's at least one area of your life that you love to control? For some of us, it'd be a lot of areas, but at least one area of your life that you love to control. Just raise your hand up now. Right, anybody here honest enough to raise two hands? See, look at it, we're worshiping right there. <laughs> That's the posture of surrender. Um, and I know, probably for some of you, I see some glances going on. It's probably tempting to reach over to the person next to you and raise their hand up for them, right? Um, but God wants to speak to you and to me about letting go of your control and me of mine. So um, here's the motto as we go through the sermon and you're tempted to think of somebody else, worry about yourself today, all right? Got it? Got it? Okay. Now here's the big idea if you're taking notes, and the big idea is this, you don't always have 
the power to control, but you do always have the ability to surrender. You don't always have the power to control, isn't that true? But you do always have the ability to surrender. So with that in mind, let's get to Luke chapter 1, today's scripture starting in verse 26. It says, in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a village in Galilee, to a virgin named Mary. She was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David. Gabriel appeared to her and said, greetings, favored woman, the Lord is with you. Confused and disturbed, confused and disturbed, uh, Mary tried to think of what the angel could mean. And just pause for a second here. Um, some of us this morning, those two words might resonate with you the way they resonate with, with me. Um, you might be confused about something going on in your life. Why is, why is that happening, right? Or you might be disturbed, like, it's this is just way too much. It's driving me nuts. I'd like to take control, right? Anybody identify? Um, so Luke says here, Mary was confused and disturbed and then said, don't be afraid, Mary, the angel told her, for you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son and you will name him Jesus. He will be very great and will be called the son of the most Hi. Mary asked the angel, but, but, but how, how can this happen? I, I'm, a, I'm a virgin. But the angel replied, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the baby to be born will be holy, and he will be called the Son of God. So pause here for a second, and then, of course, we know that Mary responded, hey, sorry, Gabe, uh, this is not convenient for me. This does not fit in my five-year plan. I don't want to be pregnant in my wedding dress. I mean, you know how much photos cost weddings? We just, like, I want to look good in that, so thanks, Gabriel, but no thanks, right? Is that her? No, that was not her response. Verse 38, Mary responded, I am the Lord's servant. May everything... You've said about me come true. Another translation um, on the slide below here, it says in the ESV, translates it this way. Then Mary said, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. And she quotes the Beatles. Um, <laughs> let it be, right? Everybody say, let it be. <laughs> let it be to me according to your word surrendering to it, letting go of control. And now, I this morning, I'm not especially prophetic, but I bet there's already some of us, again, I've said something like this already, but we think, oh, man, this is the perfect message for my spouse, right? Or, oh, my mother-in-law, if she could only hear this, like, oh, I'm so glad they're going to hear this one. Or if they're not here, you're like, hey, can we bust out the CD burner and, you know, give some Christmas gifts on some CDs of this message for folks? Um, but again, it's, it's not... Again, we can all think of, right, permission for five seconds to think of the person you wish was going to hear this message. Four, three, two, one. Now, let's shut that off, and let's take it in for us. Um, see, you might, you might think, some of us might even think, well, you know, no, I'm, I'm not controlling. I'm just, I'm just aggressively helpful. <laughs> I'm not controlling. I'm just um, thoroughly organized, right? Um, and I know this. Because I know myself, all right? So I know myself. I know that some of us are wound so tight we make coffee nervous, okay? 
we try to control everything. You know, if you're a parent, our kids know this about us. They, we try to control what they look like, where they go, who they hang out with, what they do. Uh, here, here's a question. A control freak has five kids. How many of them does it take to screw in a light bulb? The answer is there's no pointing trying because they're not going to do it right anyways, okay? So control, if you have a little bit of control in you as a parent, and most of us do, um, if you're really a controlling parent, when, when your child was born, some of you, you already had your plan for where they're going to go to college, who they're going to marry, how many grandkids they better have, and how they're going to take care of you when they get old. And, you know, we kind of like to control these outcomes. Um, if you are someone in your family, <clears throat> spouses, who has the control issues, like, like think about your spouse, right? If you're the controlling person, like, here's the deal. You are wearing your spouse out, right? How you chew, how you dress, what you say, where you go, how you load the dishwasher, how you fold the towels, how you vacuum. I might be describing me with a few of these. Um, my sweet wife, Heidi, is kind of sort of trying not to nod, but there, yeah, she's shrugging. It's true. You know, I'm not a control freak, but let me show you the right way to do that, okay? Uh, yeah. You know, there's another, you see a lot of us try to control what people think about us. Um, and maybe social media for you could be your kind of tool to control your image. I've got a friend back home. I, every year, it's, it's just like clockwork. Um, they always have the perfect photo posted of their perfect family at Christmas. Like, hey, show them the life they, that we want them to see. Um, filtered, of course, and edited. Uh, Took them 27 shots to get that Christmas photo. They almost gave away a kid, and they're so mad at their spouse, they almost divorced over it. But hey, hashtag blessed Christmas, right? Do we still do hashtags on Instagram? Do we this? We do. Okay, I'm getting yes from an older person, but none of the younger people are nodding. So, um, okay, I trust you. I trust you. See, here's the deal. It's funny because the more, the more you try to be in control... The more you fear losing control, and the more you fear losing control, the more you want to be in control. Can I get an amen from anyone? <laughs> in fact, uh, today's Advent sermon is inspired by that line, let it be from Mary, and, and from thinking about Joseph's story from last Sunday. And it's, again, it's just one big idea, one simple thought to remember. Uh, fair warning, though, this is not a simple thought to live out. I said it once already, but... Here it is. You don't always have the power to control, but you do always have the ability to surrender. Again, you don't always have the power to control, to make him do what you want, to make her believe what you want her to believe, to get your marriage or finances where you want them to be, to even get your health completely sorted out, to have your kids doing everything that you want them to do, to get this church to do everything you think it should do. You, you don't always have the power to control, but you do always have the ability to surrender, to live out, let it be. You know, sometimes when we look at characters like, um, you know, the Virgin Mary, we think of her, lots of people go, well, of course, like she's in the Bible, right? Uh, it was easy for her. She was, she was Mary. And after, t after all, today, there, you know, there's statues everywhere her, of, of her. There's, there's cathedrals and hospitals and churches named after her. She's, of course, it was easy. She was the Virgin Mary. So wasn't it just easy? It had to just be easy for her to trust God and to surrender to God, Right? 
I don't, yeah, I don't think so. <laughs> um, again, if we take this story in real time, we know what happens, and so we're like, oh, of course it was great. But, but if we slow down and try to think between the lines of what actually played out in the words in the verses, think about this. When the angel appears to her, she's just an ordinary, everyday teenage girl. Scholars say she was probably you know, 13, 14, maybe 15 years of age at most. And so she had those kinds of hopes and dreams, just like any other girl. So then when this angel shows up with a message from God, like she already was engaged, she was dreaming about getting married. And Mary, she didn't have like options like we have today. There was no, you know, Snapchat to send to the cute guy she met at, you know, youth camp. There was no match.com. There was no um, Christian Tingle or whatever it's called today. Um, none of those sites. I was tempted to Google and see if that actually was one and maybe copyright it, but I thought that's probably not a good idea. So, but for, for Mary, she doesn't just like, oh, we just meet somebody somehow. It's very limited in her culture. And she would have been just like any other girl. She wanted a guy, probably wanted a guy with a few, you know, simple, basic qualities. Now, as a dude, I can't claim, and I think it's probably dangerous for me to decide to tell you what a woman would want. So I asked our female pastors and staff members, and this is what they said. Um, I'm not going to give names, but I'll give this, you know, here's the hint. This is in order of their age, um, <clears throat> starting with the youngest. First one said, smart, funny, kind, protector, provider, loyal, strong, motivator, similar beliefs. A prince charming or knight, someone to take me away and sweep me off my feet and show me the world. It's pretty good, right? Yeah. Newlywed, but pretty good, yeah. So um, next one said, tall, dark, handsome, big and strong, and loves sports. You can guess which one that was right there, right? Yeah. Next uh, one said, next team member here, she said, family-oriented, strong, hardworking, um, funny, provider, and someone who's also my friend. Dalton, wherever you are, that's not bad. Three out of, three out of six ain't bad, so that's all right, yeah. <laughs> Good job, bro, nicely done. Uh, last one, romantic, compassionate, loves his mama, good with kids, adventurous, good sense of humor, <clears throat> chemistry, so nobody's laughing, chemistry, okay, you know what that means, right? And that was my wife, of course, so yeah. Of course, all those things she got in me, and yeah. Now, Mary, she probably at least wanted some of those similar types of things. So then I asked um, the three, three of those same staff members, some, okay, so what do you ladies think that, that guys are looking for in a wife, you know, besides, you know? Um, they gave me the strangest answer, and it came so quickly, I thought I must not know something culturally that's going on, which is entirely possible. Here was the answer. Men want the three C's. The three C's. Cooking, cleaning, and chicken wings. Like, <laughs> I am not making this up. I know, right? You, I thought you were for sure. No? Not you? Okay, yeah. I don't know, I don't know. But, but think about Joseph, right? I'm sure he had things he was looking for as well. Probably different than the three C's, but you know, who am I to say, right? But both Mary and Joseph had 
big dreams. They had plans. They'd have, you know, oh, we're going to have two kids. It's going to be a boy and a girl. They're going to have a dog, not a cat. <laughs> They're going to watch Netflix and chill every night of the week, or four nights, three, three nights a week. Um, but they had hopes. They had dreams. But then, into the hopes and dreams, this angel comes to them separately and says, Hey, Mary, and later, hey, Joe, God has something different for you. You're going to have to let that go. And Luke writes, Mary was disturbed and confused. And I imagine Joseph was as well, because this is a mess. This is not how their life was supposed to go. And some of you can relate to that feeling. Some of you had a plan. You had hopes. You had dreams. Um, maybe, you were, maybe you were done at two kids, and you got a bonus round. You didn't see that coming. Um, or maybe the opposite. Maybe you hoped for two or three kids um, and then found out that you couldn't conceive your first. And that's, that's painful. And that would warrant a response of at least disturbed and confused. Or maybe you had the perfect job. You thought this is the perfect job when you took it. You had no idea that the company is going to be downsizing and you're barely paying your bills right now. It's weighing on you. You're waiting for layoffs. It's disturbing. It's confusing. Or maybe against your hopes and dreams comes these relational issues. Maybe your marriage isn't where you think it's supposed to be or or maybe there's a relationship in your family where that person is missing, and maybe they're missing because you lost them this year. They're not there. You never thought it would happen. I did a funeral yesterday where they're going through exactly that, and it is so confusing. It is disturbing. Why, why, why? Maybe it's a health issue, financial concern. It could be any number of things they leave us feeling disturbed and confused and out of control. It's a mess. I didn't think it was going to be this way. And so maybe, maybe you relate in that way to how Mary felt at that point in the story. See, when we think about Mary here, before everything else unfolds, she did not know what the end of the story was going to be. She did not know that three decades later, Jesus would die on a cross she didn't know anything that was going to happen in her situation, yet she still said, let it be. Let it be. And see, you and I, we don't know what's going to happen in our situations, in your particular thing that you might be concerned about. You don't know, I don't know, but, but she had a choice to make, the same choice that we get to make. And it's framed in that question again, that statement, you don't always have the power to be in control. <laughs> but you do always have the ability to surrender. Now, one of the pastors I was listening to, um, this is probably a couple few years ago, but I wrote this down. His name's Craig Groeschel. He said something about this so simple, but I thought was really profound. He said this. He said, <laughs> uh, there's no such thing as partial surrender. <laughs> Right? You're either like, okay, I give it all up, it's all yours, God. Either that or I'm not. I'm surrendered or I'm not. There's no degrees of surrender like, oh yeah, I'm 83.5% surrendered to God, right? I, 
You know, I trust Jesus to save my soul, but I still, you know, well, I still like to, you know, fool around. I'm not giving that up. Um, or, or, well, you know, I trust Jesus to, you know, redeem my past, forgive my sins, but, but I can't trust God with my money. Or, or we might say, yes, I know God will. I'll trust God to comfort me when I'm hurting, but I can't, I can't really trust God with my kids. I mean, these are my kids. I can't surrender them. And so, yeah, I'm just painfully aware that, that he's right about what he says. There's no such thing as partial surrender. And then I wrote down that he asked this kind of pesky question. It's been bugging me uh, since I started looking ahead at what I was going to do with this. This question has been bugging me, this pesky question for weeks. It's been bugging me. He asked, what is our, what is our desire to control rooted in? So when I look at all the different areas of my life um, to try to control, and believe you when I, believe me when I tell you I'm preaching to me today, um, but our desire, my desire to control is generally rooted in a lack of faith and trust. And the reason I put those words up here together is because sometimes faith sounds real kind of floaty, ethereal, and even if we've been a Christian a long time, we sort of assume what it means. And so I like to often interchange the word trust for faith because essentially they are the same things. And it's a little more accessible. Our desire to control is rooted in a lack of trust. See, the more I find myself trying to control, <laughs> the more I overestimate my ability to control, and when I do that, the more I underestimate the power and goodness of God to be faithful. See, it's not easy to do this in our culture because everything in our world says to you, hey, hey, you've got to make it happen, right? You're like, yeah, I've got to grasp for control. I've got to take charge. I've got to force my way. And if you're somebody who's not in control, then, then the attitude is often, well, fine, here's how I'm going to get control. I'm going to undermine and criticize and sow doubt and find the negative about whoever isn't doing it your way. But Jesus says something that is diametrically opposed to everything our culture says, everything that our flesh wants to go towards. Jesus says this, if you cling to your life, in other words, if you try to be in control... You're actually going to lose it. But instead, he says, if you give up your life, if you, he's saying, if you surrender it to me, Jesus says, you will find it. In other words, to fully follow Jesus is to surrender control. It's to live life with a posture of, let it, let it be, let it be. And I find myself thinking, yeah, 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 okay, let it be. But, but, but I need to correct the things that are being said about me. No, 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 let it be. Yeah, 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 but, but, but my reputation is being attacked. No, 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 let it, okay, God, let it, let it be unto me according to your word. I'll trust you, God, no matter the cost. I'm, I'm going to choose to let go of trying to control every outcome and manage people's opinions. And instead, I'm going to choose to trust you. Yeah, 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 but, but, but then people are going to think things about me that aren't true. <laughs> okay. okay, Doug, listen, let, let, it, let it be. Let God be God. 
And see, the times that I'm able to shift into that and do that, I can actually, with absolute confidence and sometimes even a smile on my face, I can say, I'm trusting God to take care of that and walk away knowing that Jesus will. Just let it be done, God. Let it be just as you say, God, let it, let it, let it be I surrender to you. See, when we look at Mary's surrender, what's so interesting is that every time in her story, like as we track it out, that she chooses to say, let it be, and to surrender to God, it's amazing that, and this is not some formula, I'm just looking and I see this pattern, this is not a formula, but when she does choose to surrender, she sees evidence of the faithfulness of God. She surrenders, she sees God's faithfulness over and over again and again. You just think about this from Mary's perspective and from Joseph's, right? He tells her, oh, okay. Um, he's, he's hearing her say, uh, okay, yeah, Mary, you're a virgin, but you're pregnant. Because you say the Holy Spirit got you pregnant. So Joseph's got to be thinking, oh, whew, oh, boy. We got problems here. We looked last week at how she had to tell this to Joseph. And how we looked at the verse today. She says, let it be, let it be. Let it be. She surrenders. She has no control, you guys. Again, we read it fast forward. We know what happens. She did not know for sure what would happen. She had no control over what he is going to say or think or do. She knows that Joseph could have exposed her and by law had her put to death by stoning. That was what was done back then. But still, she surrenders. She fully puts her trust in God. And then what does God do? God is faithful. God sends an angel, Gabriel, to Joseph in a dream. And the angel says, hey, Joe, this whole thing, no, 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 it, it's legit. She's telling the truth. Don't be afraid. So right there, she had surrendered. And then she sees God is faithful. God is trustworthy. And now they think about them in their town, people around town. You know, they're whispering, probably like, hey, I saw her donkey over at his place uh, 2 a.m. the other day, right? So... You know what they're doing. And she would have been shamed. When people started to find out, she would have been shamed by everyone, especially her family members, everyone for being pregnant. But then she had surrendered to God. And what does God do? Well, Holy Spirit confirms to, to Mary's relative, to Elizabeth. And Elizabeth finds out, whoa, this is of God. And there's some encouragement. There's some comfort because Elizabeth and Zechariah, at least those two have Mary and Joseph back, and they see that God is faithful. God is faithful. Now think about it when she's about to give birth. Um, nine months pregnant, riding on a donkey probably. You know, she and Joseph can't find a Motel 6. There's no rooms. <laughs> this is not ideal. I surrender to you, God. Come on, what is going on? And they still trust God, and God provides uh, a stall, a cave next to some farm animals, not ideal, but then God is still faithful because after the birth, maybe even into their doubts, wondering where is God now when we really need him, shepherds show up to worship a baby, and they see that God is faithful. How in the world would these shepherds find out, oh, angels sent them? <laughs> angels told these guys about 
the birth, wow, they had to be encouraged. Okay, God is with us. God is with us. God is faithful. And then you go farther into the story. Um, eventually, the poser king, Herod, he gets word about the birth. And Herod is insecure and ruthless. A bad combination in any leader. Insecure, ruthless. And he's like, well, who's this baby king that these foreign kings are showing up to look for? We're going to have to make sure he's dead. Again, put yourself in her shoes. Like, the king and the king's army want to kill your baby. Finding that out, right? Every day, Mary has to remind herself, okay, ooh, that's, that's big. That's, that is scary. But God, I trust you with my child. I trust you with my Child, let it be. I trust you, God. I trust you. They're, they're on the run. They're fleeing as refugees to Egypt of all places, saying, I, okay, we trust you, God. We trust you. We trust you. Let it, okay, let it be. Let it be. You know, how do you pay the bills when you're on the run like they were? They're probably like, I, I don't know, but I, but I trust you, God. So we surrender. We say, we still say, let it be. And maybe that's where the gifts that the wise men brought, and that had to help. That was at least one place where maybe God again was faithful as they surrendered to God, and God was faithful. Fast forward, 33 years or so, Jesus is now on the cross. He's a grown man. He's about to go to the cross, right? About to go to the cross He's about to face death. He knows, he knows what's going to happen to him. He's the son of God. He's in the garden of Gethsemane, Gethsemane, and he now is disturbed. He's disturbed. And maybe even part of him is a little confused because he knows what's about to happen. He is agonizing. The pressure on Jesus at this point in his life is so intense, he starts, Scripture says he starts to sweat drops of blood. If you look at this scientifically, it's like his capillaries burst. It's that intense. And he cries out to his heavenly father, to his, his daddy. He uses the word for daddy. He says, Abba, Father. Everything is possible for you, if there's any other way out of this, if you could just remove this cup, and he's talking about the cup of suffering that he knows is coming, he says, then, then Father, just would you remove it? Would you remove it? That's what he prays. And then what he says next is the exact same Greek word that his mother said back in Luke 1 when she said, let it be. Jesus says essentially here now the same thing. Jesus says, same word, he says, oh, let it be. God, <laughs> let it be your will, Father. Not mine, let it be. And Jesus goes to the cross. And even thinking of that from the perspective of his mother, who's been surrendering and saying, okay, God, let it be. And she has to look at him on the cross. And we just have to understand, Jesus was so badly beaten <laughs> He didn't even look like a human being at this point. Like, how would that be for a mother? Like, don't idolize her as well. She's the Holy Virgin Mary. No, no, no. She was a mom with the heart of a mother. And those of you that are moms of sons, maybe you even feel a little bit of the agony that Mary experienced here. This is her son. They're spitting on him. They're cursing him. He is suffering and right there at that point on the cross, 
Jesus, he's God. He could have acted. He could have taken control. <laughs> like, Scripture says he could have called 10,000 angels to wipe them out. Or, if, you know, if it was me, give them hemorrhoids or something. I don't just... <laughs> that's what I would have done. I will show you. <laughs> but what does Jesus do? It's mind-boggling. He says, Father, into your hands... I commit my spirit, and he doesn't grasp for control. He surrenders. Let it be. So let me ask you that pesky question I've been asking myself the past few weeks. It's this. What are you trying to control that God wants you to surrender? What are you trying to control that God wants you to surrender? And I want, you, I want to invite you into an opportunity to actually, again, still participate here. And perhaps as we participate and interact, maybe God would do something special in your life this morning if you're willing to participate. So near your seat, probably under your seat, maybe under your chair or at your table, uh, there's a little piece of paper. Would you grab that? Um, if you don't have a pen, would you raise your hand? And some of our wonderful folks here, our ladies, are going to, if you get your hand up for a pen or if you need a sheet... We've got a couple hands up up here. Our ushers will bring you pen and paper. This is an all play. Don't worry, you don't have to read it out loud. So raise your hand on up, keep it up if you still need a pen or a piece of paper. All right, looks like we got, got most folks, got everybody almost, okay. Just a couple more here, there we go question on the screen, what is it that you need to surrender, to give to God? Whatever burdens on your heart, just write it down. It could be a relationship, a marriage, prodigal child, maybe your teenager, your adult child that you're aching for, or maybe it's medical, financial. It could be fear, hurt, guilt, an addiction you can't seem to beat. Whatever the burden is that you carry, just write it down on this piece of paper. Whatever it is, just write it down. Excuse me. And in a moment, what we're going to do with these is uh, hear me closely. Don't tune out. We're going to worship God with our giving. But today, we're going to give God something different. We're going to give God our worries, our fears. We're going to give these things to Jesus. First Peter 5, 7 says, cast your cares, so your, your worries, your anxieties, cast them on him, on your Father God, because it says he cares for you, cares for you. The New Living Translation says the same thing this way, give, that's what we're going to do is we're going to give all, give all your worries and cares to God, for he cares about you. Friends, I read and pray this line almost without fail every day. 
So again, what is it that you need to surrender and give to God? Just write those things down. Now, with this invitation this morning to cast your cares on God, to give all your worries, all your cares to God, I wish I could just convince you (laughs) that every one of us would just do this, that you'd start to experience then freedom and the goodness of God. But again, here's like a pastor thing, (laughs) Um, because too many times pastors, we think we can control stuff, and I know that I have no control over that. Every time I come up to preach, I have to remember... um, Every time I preach a sermon or give an invitation, I have to remind myself that I, I love you, but I can't control your response. I don't want to control your response. I want you to freely choose. That's why we do invitations, because you are invited. You're invited. I mean, I think it's great when we do good sermons that are really compelling and moving. I wish I was a great salesman to just talk you into things. Um, Wish I could preach in a more powerful way that people would just say yes. They couldn't help but say yes to Jesus. And they say, yes, I choose to surrender this. And I wish I, sometimes I wish I could because the promise is true, right? That God can do far more through your surrender than you could ever do through your control. Like, it's true. God can do far more through your surrender than you could ever do through your control. So God is worthy of our trust. He can do way more. And I know this and want this for us and love you. And yet, I have to remind myself all the time, I can't force this for our church. I can't make it happen. And I don't want to control people. So every week is an act of surrendering our church family to the work of the Holy Spirit and trusting our staff. We just, we trust that maybe perhaps God will show up and do something here today. Worship team, will you come? Holy Spirit, will you come? Be present among us. Holy Spirit, come. Manifest your presence, I pray. You know, every Sunday, whoever is up here preaching, we we know that we're just here to say it. We're going to set the table, make an invitation. All of us here want uh, people that come to Hope or a part of Hope family to experience God and his goodness. And so when we put together worship services and gatherings, we, we hope that you choose to receive what God has for you. But again, we know that only God's spirit can move you to do something like surrender. Only God's spirit can move you there. And remember, you don't always have the power to control, but you do always have the ability to surrender. And friends, I promise you, I promise you, God can do far more through your surrender than you could ever do through your control. So as an act of surrender and trusting God, I want to invite you to give God this thing that you wrote down as we play the closing song by coming down and there's, uh, we're giving an offering, right? So here's the old school offering plates. There's one over here by the manger side. There's another one over here by the advent side. And as we sing, um, that you would have the courage to take a step in indicating your surrender to God, walking up, putting it in the offering plate to give this as a gift to God, to remember that it's something you give to God as an act 
of surrendering your control to Jesus. So as we get ready to pray, those of you who would join me, because I'm in it with you, and you would say, yeah, I got something to surrender today. God, help me surrender this person or situation or this concern, this burden, this whatever it is. God, help me surrender to you. If that's you, um, just as a way of demonstrating faith and trust, would you just raise that paper up in the sky or just raise your hand just as a demonstration? And I want to pray over all of us and raise up that thing that we want to give to God. My hand is up too as an act of surrender to God. So God, I thank you that right now your spirit is doing what no power, what no person, your spirit is doing what no person has the power to do. You are touching hearts right now. And in the same way Mary said it, in the same way Jesus said it, in the same way they lived it, God help us say and help us live it. A true surrender, not a partial surrender, true surrender our prayer would be, let it be, God. Let it be not our will, but your will be done. God, we know that sometimes it's not easy. It could disturb and confuse us, but, but God, ultimately, even if we don't understand what comes next, we want to learn to trust you more, to trust that you are good and that you are always working for our good. Let it be. Help us surrender, God. Amen. Would you stand and as we sing, join me in giving your cares to God and offering to God by coming up to one of the stations and prayerfully just putting it right in there.